Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Hi folks, Dr. History here with more stories from the Old West. You know, the past week, uh, my wife and I were able to go babysit uh, my daughter's four daughters, four granddaughters up in Pocatello, Idaho. And they live in a house that actually is right across the road from the Fort Hall Indian Reservation. Now, when you think of an Indian Reservation, I don't know what comes to your mind, but in this case, it's basically farm ground that the reservation either farms themselves or leases out to farmers. So, anyways, just open fields across from their house, but we had a good time with my four beautiful little granddaughters. So, back home again. Today, I'm going to talk to you about the medicine man, the Indian medicine man. Now, this story comes from a guy by the name of Charles Walgamot, and he's the one that came out here in the West about 1875 and lived with his sister and her husband at the City of Rocks Stagecoach Station and the Rock Creek Station. So these are stories that he tells himself, so I put a lot of reliability into what he says. So the medicine man and all the Indian tribes of the Northwest, you know, there were medicine men. They were known as the wise men of the tribe who were capable of making medicine. Now, it was the belief of the tribesmen that these men were possessed of super knowledge, that through the great spirit they were given power to drive away evil spirits and diseases by magic art, and that they were able to translate dreams, solve important questions, and interpret the future. Now, in consequence, they were always called into consultation with the chiefs to deliberate on all important matters pertaining to the tribe. Now, since they had uh, to some degree developed the power of concentration, their decisions were more often wiser than would be the conclusions reached by, say, one of the lay tribesmen. Now, the medicine man was usually self-appointed and always looked upon with a degree of reverence. He gained in popularity in proportion as he became proficient in the art, either real or, who knows, maybe deceptive, of healing the sick. Now, in healing the sick, he had learned the importance of faith, and he knew that when faith was established, the patient was well on the road to recovery. And you can see that even today. Uh, he usually, his usual mode of healing was, quote, magic. He would sing, chant, sometimes dance, and contort before the patient in an effort to invoke the help of the great spirit. At times, he used more concrete methods and administered actually herbs, roots, and blossoms, and sometimes even resorted to the sweat bath and what they called the cold plunge. Now, there's a guy by the name of McCandless, and he was living, uh, he had an Indian wife, and he'd lived for years with the Indians in the Snake River Valley, and he relates that during the late 60s, an epidemic of smallpox became prevalent among the Indians, and the medicine men congregated on Snake River at Shoshone Falls, which is, I've told you before, I live right on the Snake River, so Shoshone Falls is about 30 miles downriver from where I'm at right now. Beautiful uh, falls, uh, actually higher than Niagara. Anyway, right there along the river at Shoshone Falls, they built some sweat houses. Now, these sweat houses, or teepees, were built with a frame of willow poles, covered with hides, and were just large enough for one person in a sitting position. Now, a heated rock was placed inside with the patient. 
the medicine man sat outside and he, as he endeavored to, uh, with his chance to en- enlist the aid of the great spirit, he would dip the tail of a buffalo in a vessel of water and through an opening in the sweat house, he would sprinkle the heated rock. Well, obviously, this caused the enclosure to fill with steam. Now, when the patient was almost in a state of collapse from suffocation, uh, he would be plunged in the cold water of the Snake River. Now, McCandless, he relates that this proved kind of a serious mistake as the loss of the patient was almost 100%, so uh, that probably didn't work all that great. Now, Charles Walgamont, as I mentioned, he was the boy that uh, had a personal experience with the medicine man. And this is his story. He says, it was in the spring of 1876, I was working in a trader's store on the Oregon Trail. The store belonged to a guy by the name of Herman Stricker who also had a store in a place called Springtown on the Snake River, about 10 miles north of the Oregon Trail. Well, one day Mr. Stricker was at the Springtown store, and he says, I was alone at the trader's store. A band of Indians came to the store to sell their gloves, to buy sugar and flour and whatever else they need. He says, I had the misfortune of having a growth on a finger of my right hand. It was one of those ungainly varieties of fungus growth known as a seed wart. He says, I felt ashamed of it and considered it a blemish. It would often become sore and bleed uh, when I accidentally hit it against something. Now, during the day, the Indian woman who could talk some English did most of the trading for the other Indians. Noticing that I had caught the wrapping string uh, of the ugly wart, that I'd wrapped it with that, and that it was bleeding, she said to me, quote, You give me one dollar, me take him off. And pointing to the medicine man in the group, she said, quote, He medicine man, he heap savvy fix him. You give one dollar, wart, he no more. Well, this had to stop him thinking a little bit here. He says, I looked at the medicine man, and he was the first I'd ever seen, and it seemed to me I could feel some hidden power in him. I had gotten the impression early in life, before I had ever seen an Indian, that the generations in which they had lived in close communion with nature had qualified them to perform cures through the unseen. Well, he continues, he says, the medicine man spoke not a word. He was too dignified to enter into the conversation, and I was not sure he could speak English. Now, his dress, or rather the decorations of his dress, were a little different from those of the other Indians. He wore a long necklace of polished mussel shells, and his moccasins and leggings were fancy fancy beaded. Uh, Below his beaded belt and the scabbard that carried his hunting knife was suspended a large stone pipe, his straight stem decorated with beaded buckskin. Well, the Indian woman insisted that I give up the dollar, but with all my faith, I faltered and determined not to give it up until I was sure of getting rid of the unsightly wart. He says, I told the woman so, and she exchanged some words with the medicine man, and then she left the store. Okay, now the medicine man came over to where I was standing, took me by the hand, and kind of examined the wart, then broke off a piece of wrapping string or twine, and he said, quote, can you take that, or no, he said, can you take that off? And he answered, quote, me fix him. Well, I began wrapping my finger above and below the wart. Then I noticed that the Indian woman had returned and had a mouthful of some green substance, herbs, grass, or something of that sort. 
Well, when the medicine man had finished uh, wrapping my finger, he reached for his hunting knife. And I realized for the first time that he was going to resort to surgery. But I still had faith and reserved uh, myself while, uh, while the medicine man, who with one swipe of his hunting knife, cut out that wart. Then quickly he unwrapped my finger and he held my hand so that the Indian woman could place a quantity of the herbs from her mouth on the wound. And after he'd wrapped my finger in my handkerchief, he reached over and took my dollar. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Well, he goes on, he says, yeah, my dollar was gone, and all that remains of my troublesome wart is the scar made by the medicine man's knife. So it worked. And he goes on, he says, it is my opinion that although the medicine man made mistakes, some used deception, and in my case resorted to surgery to get the dollar, was nevertheless a benefactor to his people, and played his part with a pomp and dignity that was most becoming. He helped to satisfy the ever-compelling hunger of the Indian for contact with the unseen forces of the spiritual life. Well, he says there are some among us who will scoff at the Indian medicine man and his simple-minded followers. But let those who scoff examine themselves and analyze our modern civilization with our many medicine men. Then let them marvel at the little we know of our own existence, our own life, the source from which it came or its ultimate destination. Now, those are the words of Charles Walgamont. Now, I got to say, folks, you know, I after 38 years of working as a chiropractic physician, uh, I've there's times I felt that the more I learned, the less I knew. And I studied the human body for years, and I learned that uh, try, uh, sometimes we just don't know what's going to help a patient. Uh, how or how to treat it. But I, I will say this, I have the utmost respect for our medical community. And I also know that none of us have all the answers. And I think uh, sometimes the uh, Indian medicine man had it right. And there's probably some things that, uh, that they used that have been long since forgotten that could probably help us with some of the conditions that are prevalent in today's society. Well, I hope you enjoyed that story about the medicine man, and uh, I will see you next week, and you have a good day. Thanks.